Blog Talk Radio. Hey everybody, this is Tristan Nunez, driver of the 7-0 Skyactiv Mazda prototype, and you're listening to Thursday Night Thunder on the Speedway Digest Radio Network. Hello and welcome to the February 1st edition of Speedway Digest Thursday Night Thunder, the most hardcore motorsports program on the internet. This is episode 128 of the series. I'm your host, Adam Jason Sinclair, and on tonight's program, Michael Mullally and myself will once again be talking about the Rolex 24 at Daytona, getting ready for the NASCAR season, and get ready to get dirty. Our first guest tonight is Robbie Foley. Robbie has always had a passion for motorsports. Since birth, he was always around race cars with his father. Robbie started driving running carts in the SCCA Auto X, given at the young age of eight. It was apparent that he had natural talent, and he soon started to enjoy success in karting. Soon after he began karting, Robbie began to compete nationally in Auto X, traveling to national tours and pro solos with his dad, who has been an SCCA member since 1986. He ran carts nationally from 2005 to the end of 2009, earning numerous trophies and a third place in 2008 at the Tire Rack SCCA Solo National Championships and a second place overall in the year-end Pro Solo Championship. After 2008 and growing to 6 foot 180 pounds, the power-to-weight ratio was unfavorable, so racing was put on the side for a while. After playing football and baseball for a while, on September 11, 2010, Robbie's life was changed forever after his leg was severely injured. After tearing his LCL, ACL, and PCL, as well as breaking his tibia, fibula, and ankle and suffering a, a peroneal nerve palsy, his focus was back to racing. Following surgery and rigorous therapy, Robbie was able to walk again and then wanted to start racing cars. In April of 2011, fresh off crutches, Robbie went to Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca to skip barber school driving to transform from driving a cart to a car. After successfully transferring into a car, Robbie sought out to get his SCCA license at age 15. Very few people are eligible to get cleared to compete at 15 as they have to have a strong resume representing that they have the previous experience and maturity to be trusted on a racetrack. After being approved, since there were no SCCA driver schools around, Robbie took the non-traditional driver school path, getting signed off on the test date, and the rest is history. We are now pleased to welcome Robbie Foley back into the Thunderdome. Hey, guys. How are you doing on? this evening? Good. Pretty good. You? Pretty good. Now, you've had a uh, really busy start to this year, competing in a few events at the World Center of Racing. Can you tell us a little bit about the Prototype Challenge event held during the Roar Before the Rolex 24 weekend? Yeah, absolutely. It was good. Um, kind of an early start to the year for me. Normally, I don't get going until about March, but definitely a welcomed uh, short off-season for me. Um, really, the uh, the race went not so much our way. Uh, my co-driver had um, a few kind of incidents in the beginning of the race and put us a few laps down, but overall, we learned a lot as a team. Um, it's very cool to be a part of the new Prototype Challenge format with LMP3 and Mazda Prototype Challenge. Um, so, you know, definitely, definitely great to be a part of you know, the new kind of launch of a more endurance format with the series and, you know, looking forward to a strong six more races left this year with uh, P1 Motorsport. I know that for most of your racing career, you've been a part of the Mazda ladder system. This year, however, you're racing for Mercedes team. How'd that come about? Yeah, it was, it was interesting. Um, 
as you say, I'm, I'm lucky to have been a part of the Mazda scholarship system and um, kind of got my start in racing through, you know, Mazda and in combination with Skip Barber, I won a lot of scholarships that allowed me to, in a sense, um, move up to the next level. Um, you know, the, one of the hardest things um, young drivers face is the financial burden of racing and how, you know, to get to a certain level. So I was very lucky with Mazda to, to get to that level. And then last year, um, I kind of had sort of a weird year where I was bouncing around between a few different things. I didn't have a full season locked in of any any series. So I was lucky enough to get an opportunity with T1 Motorsports to test one of their LMP3 cars. They had kind of a, a driver fall through. And, you know, I <clears throat> through some connections that I had had, um, actually from Mazda and a few of my friends, I was able to get a test in the LMP3 car. It went quite well. And then, um, you know, was able to do three races with P1 last year. Um, and then from there, kind of continuing the relationship, um, I was brought in uh, to, to drive with my co-driver, Jim Garrett, this year in LMP3. And then, um, you know, lucky to get a chance to drive uh, their Mercedes GTD car in the Rolex 24, which for me was a, re- a real dream come true. But, I mean, the the journey has been kind of quick, straight from MX-5 Cup. I did a little bit of Continental Tire uh, ST racing with Freedom Autosport last year and Mazda. And then, you know, quickly transitioned to prototypes. And then within the team in P1, was able to uh, – to go ahead and, and get my first start in WeatherTech at the Rolex 24. What was the most memorable part of competing in the race? Uh, for me, I had, I mean, I had always, I've been watching this race since I can really remember. I used to trick my mom into thinking I was going to bed and then I would stay up all night and, and keep watching the race. But for me, the, I, it actually went by quite fast, but for me, the biggest memory was walking out for driver intros and seeing the sheer amount of fans. And then, Actually, it kind of hit me. I was lucky to finish the race, you know. So first, kind of, I guess it's a bookend deal. At the start of the race, just seeing all the fans and the mass amount of people that came out and, you know, uh, feeling all that support and and seeing all the fans out there. And then bookending it at the end of the race, I was, you know, lucky enough to to take the checkered flag in the car and just even on the cooldown lap, seeing all the fans waving. And, you know, it it was kind of an immense, crazy feeling. In the moment, I didn't necessarily you know, realize it, but over the last couple of days, I've been able to kind of reflect on it and, and realize how special it was for sure. So I think it was definitely a special experience and I kind of have, you know, bookending favorite memories, I guess, at the start and the beginning, the race actually goes by quite fast when you're involved. Um, but, you know, just to be able to, to finish the race and take the checkered flag, see all the fans uh, after 24 hours of grueling racing was pretty special. Did Kenton Koku's compete in the Rolex 24 before giving any tips that helped make the uh, make the race go by any better? Yeah, for sure. He was huge. He he won the race in in prototype in the former prototype challenge class in in 2015. Um, mm-hmm. And just his experience, even though he's only done it once, he's been through the process and he knows what to do, what not to do. So he's been a huge help for me and really my transition into prototypes and with the team. He, he's been huge in in helping me kind of learn as quickly as possible. The, the big thing is there's just so much to learn and it's hard to take it all in, but he was definitely, definitely, you know, willing to, to give me tips and help me out um, to the best of his ability, which for sure helped a lot. And what's your racing goal for the season? Uh, for the season, it would be to, to kind of finish the year strong and prototype challenge. We definitely have the potential to, 
to fight for wins and podiums. So anything less than that is maybe a bit of a disappointment. I think as a team, we are maybe for sure one of the favorites. Um, the team P1 Motorsports won the team championship last year. Um, so as a team, we have three strong cars and potentially adding a fourth. So we're in a sense, a little bit of a powerhouse within the paddock, I think. And we need to prove, you know, what we can do and, and kind of establish ourselves a little bit more for myself. Um, you know, a few podiums and ideally a win at some point. Uh, if, if we do everything to the best of our abilities, that's definitely, definitely in the cards. So I think, you know, I would love another shot at a WeatherTech race in GTD um, mm -hmm. in, in one of the endurance races, but my focus for sure will be on prototype challenge from here on out. I know you mentioned that they've got a, uh, got a expanding team there. I saw that the P1 Motorsports also has a prototype that they're partnering with the, with Matthias and, racing is there any shot that you'll be in that car this year uh no probably not i mean it's not necessarily really a, a partnership just as much as we we work together a little bit at the rolex 24 with our our physio team um mm -hmm. but there's no real formal connection there um the uh the goal for me would always be i, I love i've come to love prototypes so if i could get in an lmp2 car you know maybe in the next five years in a major race that would be amazing um, but for right now, there's, I have nothing confirmed in WeatherTech outside of the Rolex 24. For sure, I'll be working on it. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, the, the focus will for sure be a uh, prototype challenge from here on out. Cool. Now I'd like to throw you out to my co-host, Michael Mullally, who has a couple questions for you as well. Sure. So the current series you're in right now, is this something that, you would maybe like to settle down in or do you have another series in mind eventually uh, for me it's a great place to be right now the and a, a great place to kind of do a, a, a good couple of years and i love the cars there it's my favorite car i've ever driven the lmp3 Liget. it's a blast to drive i think the format is great um so yeah if i can make a home here for a full season uh full season effort for the next couple of years that would be awesome and then, you know, the goal is to always be full-time in WeatherTech, I think. Um, but, you know, that's easier said than done for sure. So I, I love where I'm at right now. If I am if I can make a few years doing some endurance races within WeatherTech and be full-time in Prototype Challenge, I have nothing to complain about. So that's kind of my goal. Uh, potentially some Continental Tire Challenge, um, well, what will be um, formally Continental Tire Challenge next year, but um, the, basically those three series in IMSA I'd like to kind of make a home in in the next five or so years maybe even um, transition to Europe and for a few one-offs here and there but yeah I mean if I could make a, a home in, in prototype challenge that would be that would be ideal and there's a lot of racing that is about to begin um, what series like what racing series I don't know the pearl of that do you follow the most um, I would say all of the IMSA series I follow quite closely because I'm, you know, heavily involved within them. Um, for me, I really enjoy competition. So I think you'll see great competition within throughout all of IMSA this year. GTD, GTLM, and Prototype are all stacked with really good drivers, really good teams. So look for good competition in WeatherTech this year. Same in Continental Tire Challenge. I have a lot of friends um, in the Conti series in both GS, TCR, and ST. So for sure, that's a great one to watch, too. And obviously, I'll be following Prototype Challenge closely, taking part in it. Um, 
And for me, outside of IMSA, IndyCar is probably my favorite series to follow. Um, just because of the competitiveness, everyone is so close. Um, you know, you, the, the whole field there is spread by a second. So it's quite impressive um, to watch and understand and, and know the level of competition there. It's very high. I think some of the best racing in the world. Um, but I really love all racing. I follow Pirelli World Challenge quite closely via supercars in Australia, European championships. I'm pretty immersed in the sport, so I, I love anything I can get my hands on. So um, pretty much following it all if I can. Or even outside of racing, do you have a favorite car manufacturer? Um, hard to say, honestly. Uh, in racing, at least where I am now, you end up kind of in a lot of different cars at a lot of different times. Um, growing up, I'm not going to lie, I was always a massive fan of Corvette racing and Chevrolet. Uh, I still am, for sure. Um, but <clears throat> to me, Mazda has been great to me, and I owe a lot to them, you know, in, in their, you know, they kind of helped me progress my career. Um, so far with Mercedes, I've loved, you know, every second of it, the car is great to drive. They've, they've provided a lot of support to us. Um, so for me, it's hard to pick a favorite manufacturer because um, I've, I've driven, I would say, probably a car from most every manufacturer between the racing and coaching that I've done. So um, really, whatever, I, whatever steering wheel I can get my hands on is, is my favorite at the time, I would say. And my final question for you, what advice would you give to someone looking to even just get their foot into the door of motorsports? Yeah, I get that question a lot. I think I think the biggest thing is you need a solid foundation, um, which really, in most cases, comes from karting at some level. I didn't really race wheel-to-wheel in go-kart, but I did kind of get my initial driving done in a, in a go-kart. So I think the earlier you can start, the better. Um, everyone, more or less, kind of, you know, finds financial struggles through their climb up the ladder. Um Unfortunately, it's not quite just talent that gets you to the top level, but it takes some other factors as well. So I would say, you know, trying to establish a good base set of fundamentals early in karting is probably the best move. And then um, trying to establish a relationship with a manufacturer or a team that can help support you. Um, for me, I wouldn't have had the financial means to, to support my lower levels of racing without the Skip Barber and Mazda scholarship. So unfortunately that, the exact program I went through is no longer around, but there are similar programs out there through Mazda, the Mazda road to Indy and the Mazda road to 24. Um, you know, they've done a lot for young drivers like myself to um, kind of advance through the levels. And without that, I think, you know, a, a lot of young drivers like myself, Kenton, other, you know, other teammates that I've had in the past, we wouldn't be where we are without a system like that. So there's, there's plenty of ways to, kind of get your foot in the door. Um, so however, really any of those kind of ladder systems are where drivers, young drivers should really look to because they do reward uh, results and talent way more than, than anything else for sure. And when is your next race this season you have scheduled? So scheduled right now, next race will be at Sebring at the Sebring 12 hour in LMP three, um, potentially also running in GTD there, uh, nothing confirmed yet, um, but for right now, uh, LMP3, and then hoping to maybe add a few one-off races here or there later in the year, but the focus for sure is is LMP3. 
secondary to that would be you know the weather the weather tech championship um really whatever else I can get my hands on but uh, we'll be we'll be focusing doing some testing here in the coming weeks to get ready for Sebring in March awesome well good luck at the the race in Sebring hope you you get a full ski season this year and uh, hopefully your career takes off in a big way awesome thanks guys i appreciate it yep thank you very much for coming on the show this night and have a nice night my pleasure you too Once again, that was Robbie Foley, who currently races in the in the PC LMP3 series in IMSA. He also has been racing a little bit, as he stated, in the WeatherTech Championship. He had the one-off race there in Mercedes. Hopefully, he ends up with a few other races this year. The rigors of racing for 24 consecutive hours were evident at the Rolex 24 Daytona that was remarkable for its speed, but also memorable for its attrition, the Dash Championship hopes for a number of high-profile teams. In winning the 56th running of the same sport car endurance classic at Daytona International Speedway, Christian Fittipaldi, Joe Barbosa, and Felipe Albuquerque in the number five Mustang sampling Cadillac DPI completed 808 laps in a total of 2,876.48 miles. Both race records and the equivalent of a Daytona Beach to Oakland, California cross-country drive. Record setting was aided by the race having only three caution periods. The Cadillac was stout and steady despite some late race overheating problems, which added up to dominance. Ultimately, the number five led the race the last nine hours, and the finish and at the finish was one minute, 10.544 seconds ahead of the other Action Express racing entry. The number 31 Whalen Engineering Cadillac DTI, driven by Felipe Nassar, Eric Turin, and Mike Conway, and Stuart Middleton, finishing third as the final car on the lead lap were Colin, not Colin, wow, Colin Brown, Low, Lowick Duval, and Jonathan Bennett, and Romain Dumas in the core auto support number 54, or O R E T A L M P two. Wow. The demanding 3.56 mile DAS road course was un- was especially unforgiving for the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championships headlining prototype class. The defending Rolex 24 champion team, the number 10 Konica Monota Cadillac DPI, fell out of contention early due to a faulty radiator, and ended up 45th in the 50 car field. They also retired because they were worried about tire problems, which wasn't mentioned much in the post race analysis. The number 23, Liger LMP2 of United Autosports, featuring two-time Formula One champion Fernando Alonso, punctured a tire in the 8th hour and had a brake issue in the 11th hour. The car finished 38th. The two accurate DPI entries fielded by owner Roger Penske, who spent the entire 24 hours in the pit area and didn't take one break at all this year, with former Indianapolis 500 champions Elio Castroneves <clears throat> and Juan Pablo Montoya in the driver lineup, finished 9th and 10th, respectively. An on-track incident damaged one car. An alternator problem hampered the other's chances. All of that combined opened the door more than enough for the number five team, which finished second in last year's Rolex 24 after a late race incident with the number 10 Cadillac. Alonzo's heralded Daytona debut had its highlights despite the disappointing finish. After the tire problem, Alonzo charged from three laps down to within one lap of the leader. 
and for other portions of the race, early hours, the car was one of the fastest in the field overall. In the GT Le Mans, GTLM class, Chip Ganassi Racing, number 67 Ford GT, driven by Scott Dixon, Ryan Briscoe, and Richard Westbrook, gave the Ganassi organization its 200th victory across four racing disciplines, sports car, stock car, open wheel, and rally cross. Ganassi, number 66 Ford GT, the winning GTLM car last year, finished second Sunday. Ganassi has Six overall Rolex 24 victories and two in GTLM. The GT Daytona class was won by Ralph Nikin, Mirko Bortolotti, Frank Pereira, and Rick Brookers in the number 11 Lamborghini Huracan GT3. It was the first Rolex 24 victory for Lamborghini. Five-time Rolex 24 champion Scott Pruitt, racing for the final time. Co-drive the number, co-drove the number 15 Alex. Texas RCF GT3 to a ninth place finish, 29th overall, in the GTD class. Pruitt retires with a share of the Rolex 24 all-time victory record, tied with Hurley Haywood. Pruitt also holds the race record for class victories with 10. Before we move on to the next segment, we'll go ahead and take a break and listen to Crazy About Spring Cars with Ron Pastana and the pit crew.
Hi, this is Shay Holbrook from Larson Motorsports, Jet Dragster Driver in the IHRA Nitro Jam Drag Racing Series, and you're listening to Thursday Night Thunder on Speedway Digest Radio Network. Are you a race car driver, crew chief, pit member, track owner, or maybe you're just a huge fan of the sport? Contact either Michael Malley or myself to get your spot on the show. After all, you deserve your 15 minutes of fame, and we'd love to hear from you. Next week, I'll be traveling to Daytona, not for any of the upcoming Speedweek events. Well, not exactly, anyway. On Friday, I'll be heading out to New Samara Speedway for the World Series of Asphalt Racing. We hope to have a guest next week, February 8th, to tell us a little bit more about the event. New Smart Speedway officials have released the latest batch of pre-entries for the World Series of Asphalt Stock Car Racing, scheduled to begin on Friday, February 9th. The tour-type modified list was the biggest grower of this time around as the event gets ready to begin in a little more than a week's time. Headlining the newest crop of pre-entries is three-time defending tour-type modified champion Ryan Priest. The Berlin Connecticut driver will be back in Florida looking for a fourth championship in a row for his T.S. Haulers team, owned by Eddie and Condi Partridge. Joy Priest on the tour type modified entry list. Joining Priest on the tour type modified entry list is Northampton, Pennsylvania standout Matt Hirschman. The man known as Big Money Matt scored one victory last year in his return to the World Series. That win came in the finale of the week. The Richie Evans Memorial 100. Also on the entry list are a few notable regulars from the NASCAR Whalen Modified Tour. Timmy Salamido won four NWMT races in 2017 and will be back in Florida for the second year in a row. Also new to the entry list from the NASCAR Wayland Modified Tour are Craig Lutz and Ronnie Williams. Race of Champions Asphalt Modified Tour regular Tyler Repkima has filed a pre-entry as well. Repkima surprised the Modified World in 2017 by winning at New Smyrna on the second night of action. The man that Rip Kima held off to capture the win was New York native Jimmy Zacharias. The Candor New York native is returning to New Smyrna, hoping to improve on his best point finish at third, which came in 2013. Joining the uh, aforementioned drivers on the tour type modified entry list are Mike Willis Jr., Jimmy Bullitt, Kyle Trainer, Joe DeGracia, Al Amarino, Kyle Ebersole, Jeffrey Gallup, Eric Good- Goodale, and Junior Berta- Bertaschio. The Florida Modified Division now has five names officially on the pre-entry list. Mo- Doug Moff, Doug Moff, exactly. Doug Moff of Fort, Myer, Fort Myers, Florida, will be back once again. He'll be joined by Alan Bruns, Robert Deal, Scott Pearson, and Ricky Moxley. Two drivers have added their names to the pre-entry list for the Pro Late Model Division. Fullen will be making the trip south from Attleboro, Massachusetts, and Davis Weaver will be making a much shorter trip from Plantation, Florida. 
The super late model pre-entry list doubled in size with the additions of Russ Shaw of Lakeland, Florida, and Steve Weaver from Plantation, Florida. On Saturday, I'll be heading a bit further west to Volusia Speedway for the Dirt Car Nationals. Also on February 8th, we will welcome Scott Allen Hubbard, the veteran driver of the number three FA Dirt late model race car and the owner of Scott Allen Motorsports, back to the show after a nearly three-year absence to talk a bit more about dirt car racing as the biggest event in dirt car racing kicks off the 2018 season as the World of Outlaws Craftsman Sprint Car Series, World of Outlaws Craftsman Late Model Series, All-Star Circuit of Champions, Super Dirt Car Series, Big Block Modified, Dirt Car Late Models, and Dirt Car UMP Modified to take on the world's fastest half mile at Volusia Speedway Park. Of course, we might just stop, have to stop at Daytona National Speedway, either on Saturday afternoon or Sunday, to wander around a bit. It is Daytona, after all. So what big racing are you looking forward to in the next couple of weeks? Well, I don't know about the next couple of weeks, but I know that I'm really looking forward to the Daytona 500. But I kind of feel like that's an obvious one. But I did just get a text alert saying that the NHRA is kicking off their season in one week. Mm-hmm. They've got the uh, the practice going on now in Phoenix, and they've got the, the race coming up there in next weekend. So that should be pretty cool. I know they've got some. Uh, there's been some announcements in the NHRA recently. There's been some changes in the the upper office people, which I haven't really covered much because. Because honestly, that doesn't go over very well in the when I publish that sort of stuff. So I haven't covered that very much. But there's been some changes in the in the front staff. Uh, Leah Chit, who we've had on the show before, uh, she's racing for a new team this year, so that'll be pretty cool too. And it'll also be interesting to see the uh, the fact some of the drivers who we've come to see in the past few years, uh, namely Alexis DeJoria and a couple others aren't going to be there this year because they've, uh, they've retired. Alexis DeJoria just came into a huge pile of money as her father sold his, uh, his uh, rum company. So hopefully she has a lot of fun this year. Um, she won't have to worry about sitting behind the wheel of a car for a while, I'm sure. And the, uh, there'll be a lot of other changes in the series, a um, few more cars, hopefully a larger field in pro stock. So it'll be cool to see Did you watch any of the any of the media day events they had on for for NASCAR? I know that's been all over the YouTube and all that a little bit this past week. No, I haven't really watched um, any being covering NASCAR, but I do have a question that you will probably be able to answer because you are super intelligent about this stuff. Why okay. is So why is Speed Weeks now sporadic? Because I remember Speed Weeks used to be, what was it, two weeks of just nonstop racing? So why is it now, like, spread out? I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they don't have as much NASCAR testing as they did before the track. And so they're they're spreading things out a little bit more to try and, and get the... Uh, get a, a little bit different crowd to come in because they've got the one big group to come in for the for their Rolex stuff and they've got a couple weeks off and they've got the, the little crowd that comes in for the for the ARCA race and they've got a week off and then they've got the NASCAR people and then they've got 
another big gap there. So I think a lot of that has to do with the, the change in testing regimes and the, the fact that they just don't have as many as much on-track activity there at the track as they used to in the, in the early part of the year. Well, that makes sense, actually. So mm-hmm. it's kind of just, in a sense, making it a little more easier for all of the people racing there. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what it is. It's giving, making it, trying to make it a little cheaper for the teams, even though it's not really any cheaper at all. But it it makes the travel travel a little bit different and that sort of stuff. So. so it'll be a an interesting thing anyway. We might end up going and just trying to see maybe a few minutes of the Arca race because I know that's on Saturday. And the fact that the uh, the dirt late model race there at the at the Volusia Speedway doesn't start until like five and they don't really have any activity during the day there. So it'll probably be Saturday. We'll wander around Daytona, the Speedway a little bit. Um, they won on Friday, the, uh, the world series of asphalt racing. They actually start there at noon with a bunch of practices here and there and everywhere, pretty much from noon until four. But I don't know if we'll actually get there early enough to see any of that. Um, really depends on what the, what the schedule is down here next Friday. So, our hope is to at least see a, a little bit of that in the afternoon, but more than likely we'll just end up seeing the evening stuff. But that's that's four full races on on Friday night of roughly 30 laps each. So I think that's that's enough racing for one day, and then the the next day we'll go and and see the dirt car race. Should be pretty cool. Does um, the racing bring in a lot more tourists in Florida than like just like regular summer days? Yeah, I think so. It, it, uh, especially for the, the sprint car type stuff, because the, they've got the race going on this weekend at the, um, or this week, started yesterday. <clears throat> the sprint cars racing at Bubba Raceway Park, which is somewhere, somewhere in the Tampa area. I know it's not really near East Bay. It's probably a little bit further inland than East Bay, uh, maybe closer to Lakeland. So they've got those guys racing there, um, and that brings in a lot of people. <laughs> Because there's not really any other racing at the at Bubba Raceway. There's not much racing until the summer. So um, the same with East Bay, which has the race coming up next month, and then the the Volusia stuff, which goes on for like two weeks. And if unless they came up with a new a new uh, management team for them, that'll be the only racing that's at Volusia at the Speedway. There is just these two weeks in February. So it brings in a different uh, a few different people from out of town. And I'm sure there's some people come in from, like uh, like me, is coming in from South Florida to go to the to Daytona for that. So it could be interesting. And it'll be it'll be cool to see the track because I've never seen the uh, seen the track there at Volusia Speedway. I have I have seen New Smyrna Speedway. I've actually raced 20 laps on that in the uh, during the racing school thing I did a few years ago. So that was pretty awesome. Uh, it'll be cool to see if the if the lines are the mm-hmm. same and how the the shift points and those sort of things. So we'll see. Sounds like you need a race car. <laughs> as long as you buy it for me, we'll be all set. You'd have to store it too, oh. you know. And it might be a little bit of a far far thing to to have you store it out there and have me have to race it somewhere around here. That that might be a little difficult. Just a little bit. But if I have the money to buy you one, then I probably have the money to ship it to you every weekend. There you go. See? 
That's the plan. A Speedway die dress Thursday night Thunder race team. Exactly. Well, anyway, it's been a a pretty productive show this evening, and we're going to go ahead and, and wrap it up a teeny a bit early tonight in the hopes that we have a longer show next week. Also, to try and beat the gremlins who seem to be trying to knock me off the air again tonight. So, be sure to check out past episodes of Thursday Night Thunder, as well as the other shows on the Speedway Digest Radio Network at SpeedwayDigestRadioNetwork.com. You can also check out the show on Facebook by searching for Speedway Digest Thursday Night Thunder in the search bar. I also invite you to read the articles covering all aspects of motorsports at SpeedwayDigest.com. As I stated a few weeks ago, it's kind of a slow week for the... Uh, for Speedway Digest racing news, but there are other news stories that are being covered, especially some of the new things that are happening in NASCAR, some of the changes in the front office there as well, and some of the the upcoming uh, adjustments in teams. I know there's a small article on SpeedwayDigest.com about Earnhardt, and the uh, Jeffrey Earnhardt is going to be racing in the 500 again this year. So check that out. If you're a fan of South Florida, and who isn't, be sure to check out the latest news and information about our slice of paradise at Palm Beach Happening which we found visiting palmbeach.happingmag.com or by going to the Facebook page for Palm Beach Happening. There's a lot of stuff going on here in the Palm Beaches. Uh, the uh, 1st of February is, of course, the the beginning of the two-week Valentine's Day season, which keeps getting longer and longer every year because some stores actually put that up right after Christmas. So I've got a bunch of Valentine's Day stories I'm running on there at least in the next week. I'm going to have a Valentine's Day guide coming out in a few days. There's currently a link to the Valentine's Day Guide in the last article that was posted there, the Tasty Thursday article, which is about the, uh, some nice dessert things that you can make for your Valentine this year. So be sure to check that out. should be a, a great thing if you're interested in baking at all. I'd be, be sure to give it a try. looks pretty tasty. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to seeing you again on February 8th in the Thunderdome as we discuss the major issues in the world of modern auto racing. Have a nice night, and see you next week.